As we continue on in our series this morning, we are going to be going on through the, continue on through the book of Malachi. And before I get to the reading of the passage of Malachi this morning, just I like to do a quick reminder, when it maybe it's been a couple of Sundays since the last time I preached, just as a reminder of what the book of Malachi is all about and what God is doing here. You'll remember in the first sermon that God proclaimed his love for the people and they even questioned him. They said, how have you loved us, right? And God responds to them that he chose them. It was unmerited. It was nothing that they had done in and of themselves, but rather out of his free grace and love that he loved them. And then in the second and third sermons that I preached going through Malachi, we looked at this idea that God, that the people had been doing religion. They had been living in such a way that they said, look, we've been doing all the things you asked. But actually, not only were they not actually doing them, but it was coming from a heart of self-service, of not actually giving themselves fully over to the Lord. And that God doesn't ask for us to have one foot in this world and one foot in His world, but rather that the Lord wants our hearts holy and fully committed towards Him. What we're going to see in this fourth part of the series this morning is that the Lord has made a covenant with His people. And this covenant works itself out tangibly in a a few different ways in this world. But it is because of sin that our covenant with Him becomes broken. It is fractured. And it is only through Christ and Christ alone, that that covenant can be made new. So with all of that in mind, if you will, turn with me please in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless 
Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now, as we are moving into this springtime season, right, we have the rain falling outside. One of the things that I love to do is to garden, to be outside, to be working in, on the land. I come from farm stock. My family still has a couple hundred acres in southwest Missouri uh, that they farm. That's, that's the kind of people that I was raised with. I, I love to be outside cultivating the land and, and growing things, whether it's flowers that bring uh, visual beauty or actual food that I can, that I can eat. It's, it's something that, that I love to do. And one of the things, if you're out there and doing that, that you'll realize is that the land that the Lord has given us is something which we are to tend and to care for. And if you let the land just sit there, it will grow things, but there may not necessarily be blessings, as it were, fruits that come from that. That those things in and of themselves, they'll do what they do because the earth will just grow. But we as God's creation have a special command to cultivate and to care for the land, to harness its power and to use it for all that it is good for. And that actually comes back, that starts all the way back in Genesis. There's something which is called the cultural mandate. God gave us two commands as a part of the cultural mandate. The first that he gave us is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with children, which will then one day grow up, and they themselves need to do the same. But the second thing he tells us is to um, not just fill the earth, but to subdue the earth, to actually care for it, to tend to it. Because everything in this life, if we just let it sit, will deteriorate over time is unusable. If I purchase a house... And I don't do anything to that house. Year after year, eventually, the roof will start to crater as it goes through abuse. The gutters will start to sag. You know, they might get, start getting some flooding in the basement. I have a responsibility to care for that thing which I have. Essentially, you could say there is a covenant that forms between me and that thing. Whether it's the land, a house, a relationship... It does not matter. There is a covenant that is formed there. And if I don't care for that that thing, whether it's that house or that land, what, what have you, there is a deterioration that happens there. And as we come here this morning, one of the things that we'll notice is that there is a covenant that was formed, not just between God and his people, but between the relationships of the people. And they have not been caring for this covenant. And the reality about covenants is that if we care for them, there is fruit and there is blessing that comes from them. This is the promise which has been given to us from the very beginning. But if we do not care for these things, there are curses that come from them. There is starvation. There is pain. There is suffering that comes from not caring for the covenant which has been made. And this is actually what the, uh, the messenger, the prophet Malachi, begins with. He begins from this place in verse 10. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? 
What is he referring to when he says this? He's referring to the very beginning. In Genesis, Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, the Lord creates Adam. And then he finds that Adam doesn't have a helper suitable for him in order to tend to the earth. And so what does he do? He creates Eve. And so now you have here man and woman created together. And they are given a command that man is to leave his father and mother and to go and be bonded together with his wife. And we see the very first family formed here, the very first covenant relationship. And then God tells them to fill the earth and to subdue that earth. This is the cultural mandate of which I speak. But the reality of this is that Adam and Eve, as they grow their family, and as we see, God then begins with the family of Abraham and grows the family then out through Abraham, the family was not to be just intermarrying with anyone. That God was working through the family to grow the nation of Israel. And God very specifically gives them a command in Deuteronomy, as you begin reading through that book, the command is to marry within Israel. Because there is an understanding that they are worshiping the one true God. Not everyone in the world was worshiping the one true God. And in order for God to establish his kingdom on this earth, in order for God to establish it through the families that grew, they needed to stay within the bounds of Israel. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, the people are very specifically told, do not intermarry with the other nations. Do not go out to them. Because why? What is going to happen if you go and you intermarry with those other nations? You will stop worshiping me. You will adopt their customs, their practices, their gods, and you'll begin worshiping after them. And I cannot, I will not tolerate those who try to worship one God and worship me. You cannot have both God and mammon. I am all that can matter to you. I am a jealous God. And then we see the prophet say then, why are we faithless to one another? Here he's making a reference to something we'll talk a little bit more about as we go. But he's talking about the marriage relationships that exist within Israel. He's saying, why are we being faithless to one another? What's happening there is that the men of Israel were going and divorcing their wives and going and intermarrying with other nations, with women from other nations. And he says, we're profaning the covenant of our fathers. And that's that reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, and 8, where God is saying, do not marry outside, only marry within Israel. This is how I will grow my kingdom. And then in verse 11, we see Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. 
It's in these verses right here that we see the collective sense, the collective unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. If you were to look for a little more background of what is happening here, the book of Ezra is all about how the people had been intermarrying with other nations. Something that had been clearly and explicitly uh, forbidden because God knew that if you intermarry with these other people, you will abandon me. You'll start worshiping their gods. The the book of Ezra is all about this. and, And actually, by the end of it, the people actually will repent. But in this time, we see that the people are, the men of Israel are being unfaithful with their wives. And the curse that comes from this. If you remember the cultural mandate that we are to fill the earth with our children, from that comes blessing as they also follow after the Lord. But if you're not following after the Lord, there is curses. And we see here that the prophet Malachi says in verse 12, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is essentially in reference to chapter 1, when the Lord says, it would be better for you not to come before me, have this false pretense of religion. It would be better for you not to do that than to live thinking that you're pleasing me. This is not how I've commanded you to live. And he says it would be better that these people be cut off. Now, in our day and age, some people might say, well, wouldn't it be better if you intermarried? Couldn't you bring in the people from the outside into Israel? Right? Why, why couldn't God have the Israelites marrying these other nations and then bringing them in? It'd be inclusive, get everyone in the family. And while I do appreciate the sentiment to want to bring people into God's family, the reality about what happens in that situation is not what we oftentimes, we're naive if we think that that's what will happen if you are marrying outside and trying to bring someone in. Because what's happening there is the heart is forsaking God for your own desires, for one. But secondly, we see this in our own day and age with this idea of if you were to call yourself a believer and then want to marry someone who doesn't hold those same values, one of two things happens. Either you both will find some sort of middle ground compromise where you're not really following God, but you're just following God enough to where it feels good for you, but is also a compromise with the viewpoints and the worldview of the other person. That's one direction it may go. The other direction it potentially goes is complete abandonment of your faith. At a certain point, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And if you've ever had to wrestle with your faith, if you've ever been in one of these relationships, you recognize that your faith is calling you back to God, and it will be in direct conflict and at odds with many of the things that that person in the relationship with you seems to be okay with, 
there will be conflict that arises from that. You will either have to give up your faith or compromise in such a way that it is no longer a faith. And God knows this. He says you're going to end up trying to worshiping, you're end up trying to worship two different gods. And you cannot do this. Now the one exception to all of this is if someone were to become a believer after they had been married. And that's actually where Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, if the person will live with you, right? He knows there's going to be conflict that potentially comes from this. But if the person will live with you, stay married to them. This would be the one exception. But God knows, we see it practically play out in the life around us today, that you cannot, if you, the way that the marriage relationship works, the dynamic, you cannot be married to an unbeliever and try to worship God fully at the same time. They do not compute. And it's from this now that Malachi is saying in verse 12, it would be better to cut off the descendants. Let there be no confusion. You are not with the Lord. This is the corporate nature of the way that this intermarrying is impacting the people of Israel. But there is also the private nature in which this is impacting the people of Israel. And that is in the marital infidelity. I've already alluded to it. That the men of Israel, what they were doing was they were divorcing their wives, putting them away, and going and marrying women from other nations. Bringing them in in that way. And going and they were worshipping after false gods from those other women and their cultures and their families. And we see in verse 13 that the people are not getting it. It says, The second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Again, they're saying, We're married. We're doing the right things. But God is saying, You're trying to do it your way. In the same way that they were saying, we're doing the sacrifices, we're doing the offerings. The Lord is saying, I will not regard it. You are sinning against me. You are not following as I have commanded you to follow. And we're told there in verse 14, but you say... Why does he not accept it? And the Lord goes, Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. So what happens in this marriage covenant? When you and your spouse go before the Lord to make a covenant before him, he is present in that place. In a very real sense, he is present there. And he is the one who is ordaining and seeing over that marriage relationship. And so when the people are saying, why don't you accept it? He's saying, because the covenant you made prior, you've broken. You've gone and you've gone and married other individuals. You've broken the covenant. You see, there is, when, when in, in Genesis chapter 2, 24... When man and woman are brought together, when they're told to become one, 
There are two different ways in which, in the marriage relationship, a man and a woman become one together. There is through the physical relationship, the sexual element, in which their two bodies come together as one. They are considered as one person at that point by God. But there is also the spiritual component in which a man and a woman come together. There are things that I say and I share with my wife that I will not say or share to anyone else, especially not with another woman. It would be considered being unfaithful to be having even other conversations that I would typically reserve for my wife. Why? Because we are seen as one. In the eyes of God, what happens to me happens to my wife. And as soon as I start going outside of that, those boundaries, as soon as I start seeking after one, uh, after, after someone else, the covenant is seen as being torn between my wife and I. And when God makes a covenant, that covenant is for all time. That covenant, he's saying, I will do what I need to do to maintain that covenant. That is why the vows of the covenant relationship in marriage are, till death do us part. The idea is that the covenant of marriage is for forever. It is two people coming together as one. And we are given a mission when you come together with that other person to fill the earth and to subdue the earth. And that's why we see then in verse 15, we see in verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? God is present there. He has made us one in the marriage relationship. And what was that one God seeking? What was he seeking? Godly offspring. Why? Because this was the means by which God sought to multiply his kingdom and to take over and to subdue the earth was through the multiplication of the family. And this is why the father is given such a role in training and to educate and to make sure that his children and his wife are being brought up together. He is responsible for them. The primary way to grow the kingdom of God was through the family, was through the bloodline. And the people here are being reminded of and called back to the covenant. They are told to be faithful to it. If you look briefly down at verse 16, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. We don't live in this agrarian society like we used to, where we see the violence of an animal being cut in two or the, the death that kind of comes on a more daily basis when you, when you live in a more agrarian world. So a lot of times we will read past something like this, we'll hear violence, and we think, okay, I don't really understand that, but I'll just keep reading. When the Lord talks about violence, there was, there was something 
very specific that what happened in the creating of covenants. Something very specific that happens in the creating of covenants. If you were to go back to Genesis 15, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, if any of you remember, what does Abraham do? He brings forth a whole bunch of animals as, a, as to the covenant ceremony. And what do they do? They split them in half. Why? Because the idea behind the covenant in that place was that if I break this covenant, may what has happened to that animal happen to me. What God was saying to Israel was, if I don't uphold my covenant with you, may I be split in half in the same way that these animals are. It's the reason why you see the sacrificial system. Because when the covenant is broken, a penalty must be paid. And so they would bring the animal, and that animal would be sacrificed before the Lord as a way of saying, this animal is taking my place. What ought to happen to me as a result of breaking the covenant is being cast upon this creature. And we see it in Deuteronomy 6. Again, referring back to that, the Lord says, If you don't follow after me, if you don't keep my covenant, if you don't uphold your marital covenant, may you be split in half in this same way. There will be curses that come to you as a result. And that's why, in verse 16, we are told their their garments are covered with violence. God is reminding the people what ought to happen to them as a result of not just their sin, but their covenant unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. The very means by which God sought to establish his kingdom, to grow his people, to grow his nation, was through the family. And the people were breaking the covenant. And so, we read this, And many of us today, we may come from broken relationships, from situations where there have been divorces, or maybe we're still married, but there's a lack of covenant faithfulness in our own marriage. We read something like this, and we kind of want to swallow it and walk away. It's easier to do that than to acknowledge that we're more like Israel than we want to admit. What happens, what ought to happen to Israel due to their covenant unfaithfulness, what is being told will happen, and we're told even earlier in chapter 2, is happening, has happened. It's the reason they were exiled. What is going on with Israel due to their covenant unfaithfulness, is what ought to happen to every single one of us due to our covenant unfaithfulness. And maybe it's in the marriage relationship. Maybe it's, there's a covenant essentially that forms between you and your children. And are we loving our children like we ought to be loving them? They come from you. Maybe you're not married and you're thinking, how does this apply to me. 
Let's talk about it. The beautiful thing that happens in all of this, and, you know, if you've been following the Lord for a while, you can probably see where I'm going. The beautiful thing that happens with all of this is that God, what he says is there is violence that will come upon you for the breaking of the covenant. And we see that over and over and over again throughout history, Israel walks away from the Lord. They break covenant. There is violence. In our own lives, we break the covenant. We sin against God. There ought to be violence against us as a result. Our sin leads to death. And that death brings utter separation from our Father. And so it was in that that Christ comes as the head, as the representative for all of us. He gives himself up upon the cross. The violence that ought to happen to us as a result of our covenant unfaithfulness. The violence that ought to happen to us as a result of our own sin was put upon the person of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Christ took the death and he died once for all. We, we read this earlier, but if you were to go to Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Romans 5, 18 and 19. What does it say? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man. I'm sorry, I started reading in verse 15. I got too excited. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation, there we go, for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Our trespasses, our breaking of the covenant, what it ought to bring upon us is condemnation. If you do not fear and tremble at that idea, please, I beg of you, get on your knees and ask the Holy Spirit to make that more real to you than it has ever been. What you deserve for your sin is utter and complete condemnation. But, 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 the one act of righteousness, Christ giving himself upon the cross, being that sacrificial lamb, being the one who says, split me in half, even though it was you who was covenantly unfaithful, split me in half, place upon me the judgment. It is through that one act of righteousness that we see justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, all the way back to Adam, remember how we started at the beginning of this message with Adam, one man's disobedience, all the way back with Adam, that one man's disobedience, we were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, we will be made righteous. Through Christ's obedient act upon the cross, we are made 
righteous. I alluded to it the last time, this idea of justification. That what our sin does is that we ought to be coming before the Father as the judge. And that if he were to look upon us, he would declare us guilty because of our sin, because of our covenant unfaithfulness, because of Israel's covenant unfaithfulness, we would all be declared guilty. But when God the Father looks upon you now, he sees the blood of Christ which has been shed for you. The sin has been atoned for. So that now, we are not seen as guilty, but we are seen as righteous, pure, clean, holy before God. And as we take this now, when we see the way that Christ has worked on our behalf, how then are we to act? How then are we to act? Does God still work the same way through the family? Well, yes and no. He does work through the family. It's the reason why Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Both of these passages, Paul gives specific instructions to the household and how the family ought to function. So there is a very specific call to the family. It's why we baptize our infants, because we believe that the father and mother have a very specific role in training up in the instruction of the Lord, that child, and that the Lord will be faithful to that child. They are part of the covenant family. So the Lord still works in that same way. And yet, one of the beautiful things about the church that you also see happen within the New Testament is the way that the church is also described as a family. And that specifically, we are his bride, and Christ is the husband, he is the groom. And so we are also cared for in that specific way. One of the, one of the, the negative things that, you know, if we focus too much on the, fam- the family unit, the physical family unit, the mother, the father, and the children, this is a means in which God works through the church. But oftentimes we also, unfortunately, we miss this aspect of how God also works through the single people in the church. And that they also have a role and responsibility too. We all have a role and responsibility. If you are a father or mother, your role and responsibility for the season that you have your children is to train up and instruct them. You're going to have your other relationships as well. You need to be reaching out to those people and seeking to share the gospel with them so that they might come in and know the fullness of Christ. But if you're not married, that I refer to that passage in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul actually says, you know, if you don't feel a specific call to get married, it would actually be better that you stayed single. Why? Because this family of God now, that the Lord is growing, is not just through a bloodline. This is the entire point, well not the entire point, but this is a big thread that runs through the book of Romans. That it is no longer just for the Jews, but the Gentiles have been grafted in. And they're not part of the same bloodline. That the, Lord, the Holy Spirit is going in spiritually changing hearts. And so you may find yourself in a place where you are single. 
you have a role and responsibility to be developing spiritual sons and daughters in that same way also. Whatever God has called you to, whether it is to a marriage relationship or to his singleness, whatever it is that God has called you to, you have a role and responsibility to help to grow the spiritual sons and daughters of the church. To help to grow the spiritual brothers and sisters of the church. How many of you who are older are actively spiritually discipling younger people in the church? You have a role and responsibility to do that. This is how God's kingdom grows. Is we have a role, we have a responsibility to be caring for and growing up the spiritual sons and daughters of God's kingdom. And it is through this that we see that the covenant of God is pushed forth. That spiritual sons and daughters can partake in the covenant that was that was brought forth and made new by Christ upon the cross. Are we doing this? Are we living this way? Are we being intentional with our relationships? Are we being faithful now to Christ in the way that he set up the new covenant upon the cross? Israel was unfaithful. Because they wanted to keep doing things their way. They wanted to live by the covenant, but in their own way. I would ask each and every single one of us this morning, what are you doing to ensure that the covenant of Christ is being grown and pushed out for the blessing of those around you? I started with the example of being, liking to be outside and gardening, one of the best things that happens when you garden is as you see the fruits and vegetables start to grow, I love to go outside and just pick them right off the vine and eat them right then and there. They're sweet. They're so delicious. You see the fruits of that covenant faithfulness with that plant. If we are taking those relationships around us and leading people towards covenant faithfulness with Christ as well, we will see fruit. We will. And there is nothing more sweet than to see spiritual growth in those in whom you have invested your time and your energies. This last weekend, last Saturday, um, Crystal and the kids and I, we got to go down to D.C., um, we visited with a family who we spent a lot of time with over the last several years down in Santiago, Chile. They happened to move back up, and they were in the D.C. area. And it's so encouraging for me, as someone who got to be their pastor for a couple of years, to see them now and to see what God is doing in their lives. There's blessing that comes. There's blessing that comes with that covenant faithfulness. My encouragement to all of us this morning is to be covenantly faithful in your relationships, to be seeking out those around you, seeking to see them grow so that the blood of Christ is made ever more real towards us every day. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness towards us. Lord, we are often so unfaithful to you. May you use this as a time for us to renew our relationship with you, Lord God. To think on what it is that Christ has done for us. How he has taken the violence which should be put upon us for our sin, Lord God. He has taken it. And he has borne the punishment for our sins, Lord. Lord God, so that we can be counted as righteous. Father, I pray that we would take that, the reality of that situation, Lord God, and we would turn and seek to multiply. We would multiply our families physically and, and grow those individuals spiritually with your help, Lord God. I pray that we would take the relationships around us and invest in them, seeing spiritual sons and daughters grown. And see you multiply that, Lord God. We want to see the harvest, Lord. We want to see the harvest. We want to see many people come to know you, Lord Jesus. Use us, Lord God. Use us as your instruments to see your people grown, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus.